Praise the Lord, everybody. Come on, let's praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. We welcome everyone tonight to our Wednesday evening Bible study. So glad to have everyone in the house of God to praise and to magnify the Lord with us. Amen. Our online congregation, we welcome you. Amen. We pray and hope that everyone is doing well. Amen. Physically, spiritually. Amen. These days, oh, we are just channel, challenged by all sides. And we sometimes walk around with so many weights, you know. And um, when we are able to get to unwind, we need to make sure we take the time to unwind. Amen. Praise God. So we welcome everyone tonight. We're going to get right into prayer at this time. We're going to invite you all to stand with us. Amen. If you have a prayer request, I'm going to ask you to just wave your hand or raise your hand, whatever. Amen. Look around. You see all the hands are going up. Amen. We all need prayer tonight, so we're going to pray. And as we're praying tonight, don't forget to keep Israel in our prayers. We're praying. There is war going on in Israel as we're speaking. And, um, you know, I mean, I can go off and I'm not a friend with that. But, you know, pray for Israel. Um, that God will protect his people and that God's hands will be upon them. Um, you know, in the midst of what's going on, we need still need people there to be saved. Amen. People need to give their life to the Lord and that God's hands will be on them. God's hands will already be on uh, Jerusalem, but, you know, we just need to keep them in prayer that God will cover them. I think the death toll is really high and, you know, it's the first time in ages that that ever happened. So we got to keep and keep each other in our prayers. You know, look around. Sue is not here. Who has been missing? Who you haven't seen in a long time? Keep them in your prayer that the Lord will somehow, you know, touch their heart and then bring them back in the house of God. Amen. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer tonight as we pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you, Lord God, for giving us another privilege and opportunity to be in your presence, Lord. For in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord God, for bringing us together for such a time as this, Lord God. As we're here, Lord God, to worship you, to magnify your name, to glorify your name, and to lift up your name. We ask you, dear God, that you may forgive us for every sin. Lord God, cleanse us from all unrighteousness and all filthiness. Lord God, we ask you to purge us with Isaac. Wash up, wash us and help us to be whiter than snow. Creating us, O oh God, a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us, dear God. Cast us away not from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from us, O oh God. For the God we're here, Lord God, because in you we live, O oh God. You are the one that sustains us. You are the one that keeps us. You are the one that gave us life and life more abundantly. Father God, we call upon your name because the name of the Lord is a strong and mighty tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. Father God, as we come to you tonight, Lord God, we thank you, Lord God, for keeping us. We thank you, Lord God, for opening up doors for us. We thank you for making ways when there seems to be no way, Lord God. We ask you, Lord God, that you continue to lead us, continue to direct us, Lord God. We ask you, Lord God, to continue to use us for your glory. Help us, Lord God, that whatever we do, in words or in deed, will be done to the glory and to the honor of your name. For your name alone is great and greatly praised. The, there's none other name given on the heaven among men whereby we must be saved. 
but through the name of Jesus. I'm so glad that I know you for myself, oh God. I'm so glad I've been repented of my sin and I've get baptized in the name of Jesus. And Father God, we ask you, Lord God, that you will touch every mind tonight, touch every heart tonight. Oh God, I pray now to, to touch your people tonight, Lord God. We pray for everyone in the sanctuary tonight, Lord God. We pray for our pastor, the man of God that you've given unto us. We pray that you'll touch his body from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet, Lord God. Let your anointing continue to be upon him. Use him like never before. That is because he continue to minister and preach your word. Oh God, your hands will continue to be upon him. Bless his home. Bless his family. His wife and their children. Oh God, every member of their family, Lord God. Bless them like never before. More than they can imagine or think, Lord God. We ask you, Lord God, that you'll open up doors that no man can shut. Because you are the God that give it and take it away. And Father God, as we come to you, in Jesus' name, we ask you to have your way in this congregation. Bless every minister in this church. Bless every family in this church. Bless every child in this church. Every young person in this church. Bless every ministry in this church, oh God. Oh God, I pray you may continue to bless us individually and collectively. Remove anything that is an endurance in our walk with you, Lord. And that we continue to look to you from whence cometh our help. Oh God, we ask you uh, to have your way. Oh God, protect the people in Israel tonight, Lord God. Oh God, those that are in arms way. We ask you, Lord God, to protect all those missionaries, all those ministers and pastors, those families, those that are in arms way. Cover them under your wings tonight, Lord God. Give us the victory tonight. Have your way. That's your online congregation. Oh God, those that are not here tonight, that you'll touch them likewise. Move upon us. That's our praise singers tonight, our musicians, our audiovisual, oh God, our greeters, our ushers, our parking attendants. Oh God, have your way among us, oh God. We come in ourselves to you, Lord God. We present the service to you. Father God, we present our bodies to you tonight as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, which is our reasonable service. Oh God, we thank you for keeping us. Lord God, we thank you for opening doors for us, Lord God. Have your way, Lord God, as we come into service tonight. Oh God, open our minds and our understand tonight. That as a man of God comes to preach tonight or teach, that your hands will be upon him. Oh God, that will hear a word, that will encourage us, that will keep us, that it will direct us. Oh God, use them like never before. And that someone will make up in their mind to give their life to you before time changes. Have your way among us tonight, Lord God. We love you. Lord God, we glorify your name as we say thanks in advance for what you're about to do. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And can we praise the Lord, everybody, one more time? Hallelujah. Let's just call him by his name, everybody, one more time. Hallelujah. Jesus, we love you. Hallelujah. Worship the Lord continually with us in Jesus' name. Let's continue to worship the Lord. He is our God. He's our Savior. Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift up the name of Jesus. Come on, let's lift up the name of Jesus. Let's set the atmosphere. Let's lift up the name of Jesus. Set the atmosphere. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, Jesus. Come on, let's focus on the Lord right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah, God. 
We magnify you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Come on, who knows that he's our God? He's the God that turns water into wine. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, clap your hands.
midweek service. Midweek matters. Midweek matters. And we thank God tonight for another midweek service. Amen. It's always so good to be in the house of the Lord. I know I say it every time I get a chance to greet you, but I really do believe that. That is just good to be in the house of the Lord. We happen to have been in the house of the Lord all day today. We've been in the house of the Lord since 9.15, this morning. The winter fire uh, forum took place here in this church this morning. And we were here from 9.30 a.m. until a little after 3 p.m. today. And we just spent time together, men and women of God had great discussions, um, and I believe that we're all better off for it, and we thank God for it. I mentioned on a few occasions that I believe that what God is doing in our church is not just what he's doing in this church, but is what is, it's what he's doing in the Northeast. And I really just feel like um, today was just a little bit of confirmation of that we are included in God's plan for revival for the Northeast. We are included. It's a privilege to be included in God's plan in what he's doing in this last and final hour because the return of the Lord is at hand. Nobody has to tell us that. Um, I'm sure we can hear it and we can see it that we are living in the last and final days and God is preparing to return and even generations before us um, that have experienced certain things that made them believe the return of the Lord was at hand no one even if some of those that um, died waiting expecting for the Lord to return during their day even those people they can come back today they would say oh was I wrong that your day compared to my day Big difference, and certainly in your day, it looks more possible that God can come back in our day than 15 or 20 or 30 years ago. And one of the things that I've used to mark the return of the Lord, um, the scripture teaches. The scripture says, and this gospel must be preached in all the world, then shall the end come. And 30 years ago, this gospel did not reach all the world. It could not, was not possible. There were places in this world where missionary, missionaries had not yet gone to. So, so that scripture got to be fulfilled for the return of the Lord to happen. And so there are places where for many years that the gospel message had not yet reached. But if I'm not mistaken, um, if the gospel had not yet reached every place on the earth, it's almost there. I know the United Pentecostal Church International Organization have uh, occupied many territories and, and nations uh, around the globe where we have covered the earth with the gospel. And so just our organization alone have got the gospel all around the globe. So we're not far from every single person in this world having the opportunity to hear this gospel to decide whether or not they will obey it and be saved and live for Christ. 
But when that happens, Jesus can return at any moment. And for all the years of this world being in existence, there was no such thing as every person in the world had heard the gospel. The gospel had not reached every place. But today, I probably can say, not unequivocally, but I can say, I feel strongly that the gospel message has reached every place in the world. Therefore, that scripture can be fulfilled at any time where we will see Jesus. So we're living in the last and final days, and God has included us in his plans to reach the world with the gospel. And what a privilege it is. Amen. And so we had a great day today at the Winter Fire Forum. We thank um, our North American Mission uh, Director, General Director, Brother Scott Sistrunk, um, the Connecticut and Winter Fire um, Leader and Connecticut um, Superintendent, Brother John Potowski, um, the Dibbles. Um, Brother Dibble is the uh, Secretary for the Connecticut District. And Sister Dibble and Brother Dibble were here today as part of the Winter Fire Forum. And um, we thank them for coming and just um, really sharing the vision and what God is doing in the Northeast. And we look forward to it. Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. I want you to go with me uh, uh, to Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1. I mentioned last week that we're going to uh, be teaching on the Beatitudes um, in the book of Matthew chapter 5 and last week we shared our first lesson and tonight we're going to go into our second lesson, our second beatitude. And so I like to start from the beginning just to always give us an overall look in what the scriptures are saying that as we begin to dig in to get understanding we will grasp it correctly. In Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1, the Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he, talking about Jesus, went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 4 said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so tonight we will discuss the second beatitude, which is blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that mourn. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gathering of the body of Christ. We thank you, almighty God, for just allowing us to be in your presence. And we ask tonight that we can receive from you, we open our heart, that you may impart your word to us, and that we may have understanding of your word, and that you may impart wisdom to us that we can apply the word and live. Bless our time of being together, those that are here in person, those who are online, Help us tonight, Lord God, to receive what you intended for us to receive that will continue to help us to walk in the path of righteousness and to continue in our purpose in you. We thank and praise you in all these things we ask you in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. 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 You may be seated. 
Uh, last week we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so we talked about that and talked about how, you know, what that means. And so tonight we're going to talk about blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, here we go again. Um, pay attention uh, to studying the Bible and taking it personally for yourself and, and just apply it in a personal way. Sometimes we apply the Bible uh, in, in a story way, almost like it's, 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 it's a story, it's not real. And, and I would implore you to just, when you read the Bible, begin to think about it in real terms and think about it as real humans doing real things and it's not just a story it's 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 real it actually transpired and so let's when we read the word of god begin to make it personal so we can glean from it the way god wants us to so watch this in another seeming contradiction in scripture last week i told you that the 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 beatitude blessed are they that are poor in spirit uh, that, that just didn't sound right, you know, felt like contradiction that, you know, if you're poor in spirit, you're blessed. And now this week, here we come again with what seems like a contradiction that it says that blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so it, it, in Scripture, we read some things that because it's not what we are familiar with or how we normally conduct our everyday life, it seems uh, kind of contradictory and kind of ridiculous sometimes. But it's not ridiculous and it's not contradictory. It's that we are not understanding how to live our lives according to the Word of God. We had not understood that. Uh, Brother Dibble was here today teaching about, you know, it's important for, you know, those of us that are in the body of Christ and particularly those of us who ministers in the body of Christ, we need to do some self-care. He talked about how you need to make sure you're taking care of yourself, meaning getting proper sleep. Um, you know, getting away from the ministry just to just enjoy yourself and to relax. Uh, because when you keep going and going, you keep putting pressure on your life and on your, your, your system, your health system. And sometimes we stretch ourselves so thin that we get ourselves to places where we start experiencing sickness. And he even went on and just talked about how some of our great men of God that have died and gone on that maybe if they didn't if they did some self-care they would still be here to continue to help us and so self-care is very very important but what I want to pull out I can pull out a lot of things from what he said but one of the things that I want to pull out that he talked about today which I, I found was you know it was very interesting because it's something that I know and I like to talk about he says if you go through Genesis chapter 1 um, and you start in verse 5, the scripture starts talking about and the evening and the morning was the first day. And so I smiled because in Israel, the next day starts at 6.01 p.m. our time or their time. 6.01. 
So for us, our new day start what time? 12.01 midnight, right? That's when our new day start. And so it, their new day starts at 6.01 p.m. And so as he talked about getting enough sleep and all that stuff, you know, I'm wrestling with that. That's a big issue of mine. I don't like to go to sleep. I don't know what's wrong with me. And so I, I battle with that because I go to sleep late and I get up at 5 o'clock uh, for prayer. That doesn't make sense because that means I'm not getting enough sleep and I'm killing myself. But he talked about how the scripture says the evening and the morning was the first day. And so what he was showing us that the first thing you're supposed to do at the beginning of the day is sleep and get your rest. And then after you sleep and get your rest, then you have all the energy you need to do what you need to do. So when you look at the biblical instruction that the first day starts, according to the Bible, in the evening, then it means you understand getting rest first, then working later. We, in the Western culture, we work ourselves to the bone until we get everything that we need to get done, done. Then we finally just be exhausted and fall out and rest. You see the big culture difference? So we're here, you know, working our fingers to the bones. And, and it's not until we get the project done. It's not until we, we did all that we said I needed to do that we said, whoo, now I can rest. And that's always been the way we do things here. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches Go and get your rest, and then you can start doing what you're supposed to do, and you will be more effective in doing that because you're rested. Your mind is clear and all of that stuff. And so I start calculating. Of course, um, um, studies have proven, scientists have proven that in order for you to get the good rest that your body needs every day, you need about seven to eight hours of sleep. And I know I'm far from that, so I started calculating I said, if I'm waking up 5 a.m. in the morning, what time do I need to go to bed? So I would have to go to bed at 9 p.m. to, to get my right rest at, and wake up at 5 a.m. I said, Dad, at 9 p.m.? We're here tonight probably till 9 p.m. What is that? So, but, you know, you get a goal and you put it out there and pay attention and start working toward it. And that's what I try to help you in this church to understand because sometimes we just back off from the preaching because it sounds impossible. To go to bed at 9 p.m. sounds impossible to me. But I didn't dismiss it because I heard the teaching. You need seven to eight hours worth of sleep. How are you going to pull that off when you go to bed at night at midnight and 1 o'clock? That's way off. And so I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to figure something out. So the bottom line is I didn't dismiss it, but I'm going to have to figure something out. And it might just mean I need to at least do it a certain amount of days per week, um, a certain amount of days in the week. And, and whatever, you know, I don't get done, I don't. But I have to do something about that because I want to get enough rest so I can do the best that I can for the Lord. And so I guess I got on that because... A lot of times we read the scripture and we don't realize it's, it, it sounds contradictory because of how we have been living our life, which is really contradictory to scripture. You follow what I'm saying? So we need to start looking in the Bible and see where we have been living a contradictory life to the scripture and then say, you know what? I need to correct my life according to the Bible and not keep doing what is traditionally what we have done. 
Does that make sense? And so Jesus says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus explained that those who mourn are blessed. Crazy, right? Jesus' second beatitude provides a powerful promise for those who are broken, those who mourn. Watch this. True happiness, lasting joy, is only for those who mourn when we realize really how broken we are. So a lot of times we're not mourning or mourning is just something we don't like because we think it's just not good. And so we're not mourning and we don't want to mourn. But if we would stop and realize this is referring, yes, I'll get into all the other aspect of mourning, but the first thought about blessed are they that mourn is when we as a people have come to understand that we are broken and fractured and we are a mess. And if we do not get the Lord Jesus to work in our life, we have no hope. And that alone should have us mourning. When we look at our relatives that's not living for God and they're a mess and even when their life looks like it's all together, if they are not living for the Lord, then they're broken. And we need to realize that sin has taken a hold of them. Those are the things that should have us mourning, weeping. Lord, will you save my family? I know it looks like they don't want no God. I know it looks like they don't want to be saved. But God, I know that if they could just understand who you are, what you think of them, they will want to be saved. And if we will go before the Lord moaning and crying and weeping for our families and our friends and our loved ones and our, our, our co-workers and people we go to school with, if we will start to do that, we will begin to realize that blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so, true happiness will come from those of us who are mourning because we see a broken world, a fractured world. Of the nine Greek words in the New Testament for mourning, this one that's listed here in Matthew 5 and 4 is the strongest and deepest when it's talking about mourning. We live in a broken world Filled with broken people, fractured by sin and sickness. That's what this world is, is filled with. People in sin because they're, they're fractured because of the sin that has taken over their life. And again, I don't care how much it looked like they're doing good. They got a good job. Home life seemed good. If they are not living for Christ, they are fractured. Somebody say amen. There is nothing wrong with weeping. Sometimes the only response we have is to weep. I know I weep all the time when God's presence just overwhelms me. I just weep. Tears just roll down my eyes because there's nothing else to do but just to say, God, you are so good and I don't deserve your goodness. I cry about that more than anything else in my life of the goodness of God that I know I don't deserve. 
I know I don't deserve this kind of goodness. I was saying to someone the other day, I said, if you are faithful to God, God will give you everything that he has control over. The person then says, God have control over everything. I said, he can control everything, but he doesn't. And so here is why we struggle a whole lot. Most of what goes on in our life, uh, God can work and help us. But what God don't have control over is our relationships. <laughs> so so if, if we live for God and we're faithful to God and with God, I need this God, God will give you all of the stuff that you need as long as you're faithful, as long as you're obedient, as long as you do what you're supposed to do. God will give you whatever. The issue is God don't control humans. He can, but he don't want to because he wants us to make a choice to be obedient to him. And so he don't control relationships. And so that's why I said to the person I was talking to, I said, God will give you everything you need, but the things he can't, just what you're going to do. There's things that God don't have any control over. And all the relationships in your life is up to you and the person you're in a relationship with. Quiet on me. God not going to put their arms behind their back and says, you better love so-and-so. He already said it in his word. Love your neighbor as yourself. What is he supposed to do now? Make you love them? No, he said in his word. So the bottom line is, it's up to us now. He's not going to work in that area. But I tell you what, if you're faithful giving your tithes, you're faithful giving offering, and you feel like, man, I'm in a real bind financially, God will provide. So, so the things that you need, God, I need, I, I need to work this situation out. I don't know how to get it done, but if you will help me, God will help you. God, I need you to help my relationship out. Well, you can, he can tell you what to do. Go and apologize. Ask for forgiveness. And you can do all of that, and the other person could say, okay, you need to apologize because I didn't do nothing wrong. You did everything wrong. And what are you going to do? Because they're they not into... Um, you know, taking your apology. So it takes two people obeying God to have great relationship. Two people obeying God for the relationship to be good. And so the only way our relationships will be messed up is if one or both decide, I'm not going to follow the blueprint that God gave us. If you're loving your neighbor, your spouse, your family like you love yourself, then guess what? You'll have great relationships. But it's up to us. The Lord gave us tears for us to release them. There's nothing wrong with weeping. If, if, if we didn't have tears then, 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 and we start weeping, then maybe there was something to talk about. But the Lord gave us tears so we can weep. We can release them. When we love people uh, and, 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 and we see them hurting, guess what? Sometimes all we can do is sit with them and weep with them. People hurting, they lose their loved ones, and you love them sometimes. And that's sometimes how you know, um, uh, um, you know, you love people because, you know, there's something, there's just sometimes there's nothing to say. 
There's no sense of going trying to tell people, well, God's going to do this and God, how you know? Just leave that alone. Just go sit with them and be just like them. I don't know why this happened. And if they ask you, I don't know either. Just weep with them. And that's enough to comfort them because they know somebody's there with them. Abraham mourned when he buried his wife, Sarah. King David mourned when his son, Absalom, was killed. Jeremiah, he mourned all the time. (laughs) Paul and his friends wept when it was time to say farewell to each other. But in Revelation chapter 21, verse number 4, the Bible says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And so it is so important to understand that in this life and even after this life, God will wipe away our tears. So he will wipe away our tears in this life and he will wipe away our tears when we finally meet him and spend eternity with him. There will be no more crying. There will be no crying in heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. And it is, it is a very interesting, interesting statement because it basically says this. Happy are they that are sad. <laughs> That's what, blessed are they that mourn. That's what it says. Happy are they that are sad. But we're killing ourselves to be happy. One of these days we'll get the Bible right. We're doing everything to be happy. And the Bible says, happy are they that are sad. Jesus, what are you doing? You're confusing me, Lord. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's, let's talk about this a little bit. The first beatitude, watch it, breaks the bad news to us that we are poor in spirit. The second beatitude tells us what the right response should be to being poor in spirit. We need to mourn. So, blessed are the poor in spirit. Man, God, I'm just destitute. We, I don't have, you know, nothing. I mean, I mean, I'm just destitute of the, the goodness of the Lord. I'm destitute of the power of God. I, I'm just a mess, Lord, and I need you. He says, That should cause you to weep. That's what the first and second beatitude. When you acknowledge that without him you have nothing. When you acknowledge that you are destitute and and have no hope without the Lord, that should make you weep. But in that he will comfort you. You know, I talked a little bit about Pride Sunday If you never get to the place where you realize you're destitute without him, that you're nothing without him, you will never weep. And you leave yourself open to let pride rule over your life. But if you would just realize that without him, I am nothing. Without him, what could I ever do? What could I ever accomplish that's meaningful? Without him, I'm done. And when you come to that knowledge, that understanding, that should just make tears come down your eyes because you realize he loves me so that I, there is nothing I can offer God that will change anything about him. I can't offer God anything to make God says, you know what, I'm better off because you offer that to me. Think about that. And so 
Even in that, God still blesses us. Even in that, God is still loving us. What they always say, we can tell a person's true character by how they treat people that will not do anything to edify their life or to change their life or have any power over their life. How you treat those people is good test of who you are. But if you're one that you look down on people that, you know what, they're just nothing to you because what can they do for you? That tells your character. Because Jesus looked at us like, what can y'all actually do for me? But he didn't treat us like that. He looked at us as I love you. And he looked at us and he makes, he blesses us. And he cares for us. He takes care of us. He looks at us that and still bless us. So now we must ask ourselves when we deal with people that can't do anything for us to make our life better, how do we treat those people? How do we treat them? This is why it's important, you know, we overlook certain ministries. Nursing home ministry, prison ministry, those are two powerful ministries because nobody in that nursing home and nobody in that prison and nobody in that hospital can do anything for you because they're all sick and they can't do nothing. Some are locked up and they can't get out. They can't do anything. The others are sick and they can't. How do you treat them? And that will tell a lot about who you are as a person and as a Christian. The only right response to realizing we have nothing without the Lord is to weep, man. To just weep. Weep. If you will put enough attention and focus on what you are without Jesus, that should make you just humble yourself. (laughs) Just realize Man, what would I be without the Lord? Where would I be without the Lord? And that should just make you walk in humility. The scriptures call this godly sorrow. When you come to understand that you are nothing and destitute and and, and have no hope without Jesus because of your sin, because of all your sins, you are a mess. When you come to that place where you understand that, that's godly sorrow. Oh, God, look at me. I'm trying to live my own life. And because of my sin, because everything I try to do, I try to do it to please me. I try to do it the way I think. And I've just been neglecting your word, neglecting the things that you have told us through the word of God. And I've just been living in my own way. And that's been sinful. And when you get to that place, I'll give you some proof. The prodigal son. What the Bible says, he came to himself. When we begin to say, Lord, woe is me. I'm a mess. Wretch undone. And you realize that sin has pushed you further away from God and caused you to be in a mess. But what we like to say, but God, but God, and you still have an opportunity to be saved, that is supposed to cause us to repent and weep and say, God, forgive me. And that is what's called godly sorrow. 
The, the prodigal son had godly sorrow. That's when he came to himself. That's godly sorrow. That's why he said the servants in my father's house are living way better than me. I might have, that, that's godly sorrow. He saw his sin like I took my, my, my inheritance and just went and spent it with riotous living and did whatever I wanted. And look at me now. And he realized the state that he was in. That's godly sorrow. When we realize the state that we're in because of sin, that's godly sorrow. But if we just keep rolling and keep going and never come to realize the state that we're in is because of sin, then we can't get it right. Because it's only by repentance can we get it right. Mm-hmm. Only by repentance. And so the scripture calls... Godly sorrow, what we call the people that mourn because they realize of their sins. Godly sorrow produces repentance. Repentance leads to salvation. Godly sorrow leads us to repentance. Repentance leads us to salvation. And so while you were mourning because you realized you were so far away from God and had no hope, when you mourn about that, God's grace and God's mercy reach you and you repent and say, God, forgive me for how I've been living. And God in that moment will touch you and lead you to salvation. And guess what? The scripture says, weeping man endured for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And so when you repent and you surrender your life to God, guess what? You will sooner or later get to experience the joy. But it's not until you mourn because you have acknowledged your sin and what sin has done to you. Not until you acknowledge that to make you go on your knees and to repent will you ever experience true joy and happiness. We want to be happy but we want things to make us happy. We want to be happy and we want people to make us happy. We want to be happy and we want a situation to change to make us happy. And the truth of the matter is the place where happiness starts is when we come to recognize that we have been defiled by sin, that we are no good because we have sinned against God and that all that we do is futile without God. And guess what? If we continue like that, we have no hope, we will die in our sins and we will be separated from God eternally. And when we come to that place and we begin to weep and cry out and says, God, save me because I don't want to live like that. I know you went to the cross for my sins and I don't want to miss out on my blessings and my purpose and the eternal destiny of my life. And so I stand, I kneel, I lay and cry out to say, God, will you save my soul? You do that in weeping. You might not have literal tears coming down your eyes, but your heart should be sorrowing because you realize the state that you're in. And the only way you can get out of that state is to acknowledge the state that you're in. And when you call on the Lord, he comes. 
And sooner or later, your sadness, your weeping, your mourning will turn to joy. We feel godly sorrow when we break God's law and God's heart. You know, we better realize that when we, when we feel godly sorrow, it's a good thing. Man, you start doing wrong and don't feel no conviction. My Lord, that's not a good place to be. And, 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 and I wish people would begin to realize that and, and really get nervous that you can be doing what you're doing and you don't feel any conviction and you don't feel like, man, I got to stop this. If you're in a place just doing things that are contrary to what God wants to break God's heart, if you continue in that place and it's not making you say, man, I got to get this right, then you're not in a good place. Because you can't make it to get right unless you acknowledge where you are and repent. So godly sorrow is that pang in the depth of our soul when we know we have done wrong or we didn't do right in the sight of God. If we can do wrong and don't do right in the sight of God and it doesn't bother us, we're in big trouble. And if you come to me tonight and says, Pastor, I know I'm doing some things that's not good and I don't, I'm not real bothered by it. You know what I'm going to tell you? You better start mourning. You better start weeping. Because that's the way God is going to come to your aid. But if you just keep thinking that it's okay... Oh, my Lord, I, I feel for you. So if we find ourselves in that place, we need to get on our knees and say, God, be honest with God. God knows everything. Just say, God, I'm doing some things here that I know is not right. Why don't I feel convicted? Why don't I feel godly sorrow? Don't let me die in my sins, God. But we have to get to that place. And, and the question is, how do we get to that place? Do, is, is, is eternal life valuable to us? Is having a relationship with Jesus Christ like a real good relationship with the Lord, is that valuable to us? Because only when that's valuable to us will we cry out to God because we realize we're not going to get that. Man, it's interesting. You know, we, we, you know, we have loved ones that might, you know, have financial, you know, situation where they can give us financial things. And we, we, we desire that much. And we, we, you know, we do everything we can to get whatever anybody can give us financially. But when it comes down to our relationship with Christ and, 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 and eternal life, it's, it sometimes don't seem that serious and dire to us. And I don't know, I think sometimes... We tell ourselves, and, and this is what I fear and get concerned about for people. I think we tell ourselves a lot of times that how things are, the way we're living, it's not that bad, and God won't let me go to hell for this. I think we tell ourselves that a lot. God went to, to the cross. He loves us. There's no way... I mean, this is not that bad because people doing worse things than this. That's the things that we tell ourselves. People doing worse things than this. I can't see God not letting me get to heaven because of this. 
That's scary. Because here's the scary thing about it. You don't know that until you die. And at that point in time, you can't make any changes. Dead man, dead woman can't make changes. So when you die, however you die, that's it. Because you can't make any changes. And so, man, that's a big, big risk you're running to think that how you are is not that bad and God won't send you to hell for this. God don't send nobody to hell. Nope, that wasn't his intention. If we get to hell, we worked our way there. You ever read the scripture? The scripture says the wages of sin. You know what that means? There you go. You worked for it. That's what you earned because you were working for it. When you go to your job today, tomorrow, wherever, and you work, you get a paycheck. You earn that paycheck. Give me my money. You know how hard I work? I put 40 hours and sometimes overtime. Give me my paycheck because you earned that. You put the work in for that. Well, when we go to hell, God didn't send us there. We worked for that. Give me that. The wages of sin is death. So don't tell nobody God sent you to hell. And don't tell yourself God understands. Because the word has already established what it says. Listen, remember the best way to go about scripture is to overdo it and to find out it wasn't necessary. I'm just going, I like to be practical sometimes, you know. The best way to approach living for God, to me, overdo it and find out when I die, well, you know, you did more than enough. It wasn't that necessary, but I'm glad you did because you're in. Come on in. Then to not do enough because I thought it wasn't necessary and then I find out that wasn't enough. And I'm in a place where I can't change it now. And that wasn't enough. That, that's, that's, that's a way to think about this sometimes as we go at it. And I'm not telling you we can earn our way to heaven. Because some people are going to take that and say, man, preacher, you can't earn your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven because it costs too much. But you certainly can obey your way to heaven. You trying to drive to get somewhere and drive wherever you want to go and see if you get there. If you don't know where you're going. You have to follow some guidelines. You have to follow what the, 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 the roadmap say in order to get to where you're trying to get to. But if you don't know where you're going and you're just driving, you may never get there. Who fault is that? All right. Godly sorrow is not our worst enemy. Don't run from godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is our friend because godly sorrow always lead us to repentance, and repentance always lead us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Godly sorrow always show up as conviction, but our response to godly sorrow will either make or break us. Watch this. Condemnation is a counterfeit of godly sorrow. Condemnation is a counterfeit. So listen to me, Bree. Bree Asia. Me and you talking. We just ignore everybody else. Conviction is 
it comes from God. Condemnation comes from the devil. And so we can misunderstand them sometimes. Condemnation, when it happens, it makes you feel like you don't have any way out. So when you have done something wrong and you feel like, what am I going to do? I'm stuck. I might as well just keep going, doing this because I'm never going to get this right. That's called condemnation. The devil is at work. Because God, the word of God says, God will make a way of escape. So you're never in a situation where God can't get you out of. So if you ever feel like you can't get out, it's the devil. You follow what I'm saying? Anything that happened in your life, none of us are perfect. So when situation happen and we feel like, oh my goodness, and you feel like you can't get out, you need to say, devil, you are a liar. This is condemnation, and I'm just going to go by conviction. I know I'm wrong. I know God is not happy with me on this, but I'm going to repent because God want me saved. God didn't go to Calvary, so I go to hell. He didn't go to Calvary for me to lose out on eternal life. And so God want me to be saved. You don't want me to be saved, devil, because misery love company. So that's the difference. Condemnation make you feel like there's no hope. Condemnation make you feel like you can't get out of this. And for a lot of people, I'm going to touch this, just creep, creep and touch this a little bit. This is one of the issues with homosexuality. The devil have told our loved ones, our friends that are battling with those things that they ain't never going to be able to get out of this. And so when the devil tell them that, you know what they say? Well, I guess this is just the way it is. And that's why they started coming up with people were born like this. That's why they started coming up with all these other things because the devil told them no way out. We got to keep loving them and keep being positive with them because we want one day for them to hear God says, you don't have to stay in this. It's up to you. You don't have anything in life, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's adultery, whether it's fornication, whether it's abusive of alcohol or drugs. None of us got to stay there. Not with the all powerful God. The all powerful God can get us out of anything. So the moment we think we can't get out, that's the devil. It ain't God. And that's why that behavior, because that's no different. And, and I tell all the people that are struggling with that, I said, don't make that like it's special. Why am I on this? Don't make homosexuality and being gay, don't make it like it's, it's something different. Don't do it. Sin is sin. Lying is a sin, just like homosexuality is a sin. Abusing alcohol is a sin, just like homosexuality is a sin. Cheating is a sin, just like homosexuality. It's all the same to God. So when the devil make you want to think that it's different, that's again a clue. Devil is at work. I interviewed somebody that the other day. Watch this Christian man, secular job. I interviewed somebody the other day at the job. And they were talking to me, talking to me. And finally, they said to me, is your company okay with hiring transgender? I said, why would you ask me that? 
man, I'm just, I said, I said, don't do that to me or anybody else that you go and interview for, with. What does that matter? What does that matter? You don't have to mention that. Interview the best way you know how to. Put your best foot forward, and if you get the job, you get the job. If you don't, you don't. But don't say that. That was a preacher talking. He didn't know, but you got to do it a certain way. Because I wanted him to understand, don't make this like it's something special you're dealing with. And that's how the devil get us. Oh, that situation, that's special. That's not like any other sin. All sin is the same to God. And he is that powerful to get us out of any situation. We want to call lying a little sin. It ain't no little sin. It's all sin. If we keep lying, we're going to hell. If we keep living a certain lifestyle, we're going to hell. It's all the same to God. So, so, so don't allow the devil to make you think that if that's your sin, oh, you're locked into that. You can't get out of that, man. Don't let him do it. So I just told the person, don't, don't do that anymore. Make this be the last time. Bro, I brought them to tears. I said, let this be the last time you have to discuss this about your sexuality because for what? Don't do it anymore. Your experience and how you interview is all that matters. They went out of there crying. I said, thank you, Jesus. Because, because what the, the first move to try to help people that are in sin is to let them know that they're not condemned. You don't have to be in that situation. But the devil wants them to think that they're stuck and they can't get out. And if we're going to be real Christians and love people the way God says, we have to let people know you're never stuck in anything that you can't get out of. If you're in sin and you want to get out of sin, God can get you out. We got to let people know that God can get you out. And this is all according to God's word, not getting into all the other stuff. I'm just teaching God's word. So if anybody hear me, whether it's on the Internet or wherever, I'm teaching God's word. I'm not telling you about any viewpoint or any social lifestyle. I'm teaching you what God teaches us of how to live a life of prosperity, a life of blessings, and a life that will lead us to eternal life. If we want to do anything else, that's on us. We will earn whatever we get. Judas and Simon Peter are example of condemnation and conviction. Both sin. One lied on Jesus, betray him for 30 pieces of silver. The other one cussed like a sailor and denied that he knew Jesus. Both sin. You see, you see what I'm saying? Like it's sin? Like this dude is stealing the money. Right? And then he's so greedy for the money, he went and said, yo, give me 30 pieces of silver. I'll let you know who he is. That was their sin. Love money. You a thief. This one over here, you a liar. They both were sinning. And so the bottom line is, they got to the place where conviction came. One allowed the conviction to cause him to repent. Peter, he bawled. Remember since Peter wept when the cock crew three times? Peter went and wept. Oh, Lord, I done sinned and messed up. And so he went and repented. The other one felt so bad, condemnation, that he just gave his life away. He went and hung himself. 
When we sin, we will either allow conviction or condemnation to get the best of us, and we better allow make it be conviction and not condemnation. Because condemnation will let you remain in your sin because you are thinking, ain't no way out of this. Conviction make you realize, I can get out. God don't want me to be in this situation. I can get out. I don't have to live like this. God don't want me to live like this. Peter and Judas both were walking with Jesus for three and a half years. I wrote down here, they both were in the same discipleship class. (laughs) I thought that was funny. They were both in the same discipleship class. They both watched the miracles and demonstration of the power of God. But guess what? One allowed conviction to come and cause him to repent. The other one, when conviction came, it became condemnation and he did not make it. Happy are they that mourn for they shall experience joy and be comforted. There is a right and wrong response when we see how sinful We are and how a holy God, how holy our God is. When we realize all the times and all the ways we have broken God's heart, condemnation put a rope around your, uh, put put a a, a rope in your hands to tie and, and, and persuade you that you are nobody. That's what condemnation do. When, when you realize that, man, I messed up, I'm a nobody without Christ. Condemnation tell you, yeah, and you might as well keep on going because you are a nobody. Nobody cares about you. The church don't care about you. The condemned stop coming to church because condemnation tell you, man, that church ain't right. The condemned stay away from God because they don't believe God loved them. The condemned thinks the church doesn't care about them, so they don't come to church. And guess what? None of that is true. None of it is true. But guess what? If they don't understand that that's not true, then they stay in that zone, that state of condemnation. When God convicts us, the devil will try to swoop in and try to condemn us. Because condemnation makes us walk away from God. But guess what? Godly sorrow leads us to repentance and to salvation. Blessed are they that mourn. Happy are the sad. That's a good one. We, we, we are the happy are the sad. There is mourning for sympathy. There is mourning of pain. There is mourning for grief. And there is mourning for bereavement. The deepest of mourning we should do is over sin and over sinners. And so, yes, we're going to mourn when we lose loved ones. Yes, we're going to mourn when people are experiencing grief. Yes, we're going to mourn when people are in pain and they can't get through it. Yes, we're going to mourn because of sympathy situations like that. But the greatest mourning we should do is over sin and sinners. Jesus went to the cross because of sin. Sin caused him to sorrow through the, 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 the pain of death. That's what caused them to sorrow, is sin. And so we, if we're going to be like Jesus and follow Jesus, sin is supposed to be what caused us to sorrow the deepest. If we will allow sin to make us sorrow at its deepest, 
we will do a whole lot more to see, to help and, and be a part of reaching the lost with the gospel. Only Jesus can comfort they that mourn. And sometimes we don't want to mourn because, you know what, nobody going to comfort me. But if you will mourn, the Bible already told us, blessed are they that mourn. <laughs> right? So whether Jesus' followers mourn for sin or in suffering, Jesus' promise is sure. They will be comforted. Only Jesus can take away sorrow for sin. Only Jesus can forgive and erase sin. Only Jesus can give comfort to those who suffer for his sake because they know their reward is in the kingdom. Jesus will wipe away every tears from our eyes. Jesus explained to his disciples following him would involve no fame, no popularity. He won't even worry about wealth too much. Instead, Following him would very well mean sorrow, mourning, suffering, but they would always know that he would comfort them. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the sad. Let's stand. Beatitude number two. Happy are the sad. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Man, you, you get to know Jesus and you'll just smile with him all the time. Like, dude, you're something else. Happy are the sad. God is good, church. I don't know about you. I enjoy living for God. Mm-mm-mm. I enjoy living for God. I look forward to living for God. I look forward to enjoy enjoying the lifestyle uh, just you know, being in Christ. It's not perfect for me, and it will never be perfect for me, and I'm sure it's the same with you. But isn't it, isn't it exciting to look forward to knowing that it can get better? The people that are not living for God, they're hoping it will get better. If we're living for God, we know it will get better. It doesn't matter where you are in your relationship, in your walk with God. It will, tell your neighbor, it will get better. It will get better. That's a promise that you can just trust because God is that good that it will get better no matter what you are dealing with or where you are. It has to get better because of who we serve. Not everybody can claim that, but those of us who are living for God can claim that. Lift your hands with me. Father, in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the word of God tonight, for this second beatitude of, of happy are the sad. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And oh my God, while we know we're going to mourn because of pain and, and bereavement, and we're going to mourn, Lord God, because of sympathy and because we, we, we lose our loved ones. We know we're going to mourn because of what transpires in this life. 
But oh my God, let my mourning, let our mourning be more about sin and about sinners, Lord God. For Lord, that is why you went to Calvary, that we will not remain in our sin, that we will not, Lord Jesus, be controlled by sin. And so tonight, Lord God, I pray that the word of God will do a work in us because this work, this word is divine. This word is supernatural. And I want this word, Lord, to go in our heart and do a miraculous work in us, O oh great God. For blessed are they that mourn. Oh God, for they shall be comforted. And oh my God, let us begin to see and understand in the way you want us to see and understand, Almighty God, that we will realize, Almighty God, that sin has caused us to mourn. Sinners should cause us to mourn, Almighty God. But there's a God, His name is Jesus, that saw, oh God, look beyond our faults and saw our needs and went to Calvary that we did not have to remain in that place of drudgery, that place, oh God, where we are destitute. But Lord, you reached down for us. You were merciful to us. You were gracious to us. You had compassion on us. And you did not leave us in a state of weeping and mourning and never being comforted. We're thankful tonight, Almighty God, for that beatitude of those of us that will mourn over the sins, over the drudgery and, oh God, the despair that's in our world. Oh God, I pray that we will get so in tune with you that as you weep, we will also weep over this world of sin, over this world of suffering. Oh God, I pray that you will move upon us. Remove from us selfish ways of thinking and being that, Lord, we can see the way you want us to see and do what you want us to do, that we will get on our knees and begin to mourn and begin to weep and say, God, will you use me that I can go and help somebody to find their way to know who you are, to be delivered from sin, to be set free from captivity. Send us, Lord. We want to be, oh God, a vessel that you can work through. Will you send us, Almighty God? Use us, Almighty God, to minister to the hurting, to minister to the broken, to minister, oh God, to those who are suffering, Lord, that we can lead them to you. And that, God, they can experience comforting. They can experience joy. They can experience gladness in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're grateful. We're thankful that you didn't leave us, Almighty God, in that place of struggle and suffering and pain. But Lord, you came and comforted us. You came, Lord God, and came alongside of us. And we love you. And we adore you. And we thank you, Lord God. We give you praise and honor. You're glorious. You're majestic, Lord. None 
is like you. And we're so grateful that we call you Father. We're so grateful that you are our friend. And oh God, we're thankful for tonight. Bless us tonight, Lord, as we go. Let the word of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. And let your word take root and grow and produce good fruit, Lord God, in our life as we give you the praise and the honor. We thank you for travel mercies. We thank you for peace and for comfort as we travel to our respective place of dwelling. We give you the praise and the honor and we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Somebody say in Jesus' name. God bless you. I love you. I love you. Have a great rest of your night.